Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to the show. It's brought to you powered by West Yorkshire Electrical fully registered, fully qualified, fully accredited electrician who will work with anything with wires in it, basically. Specialists in renewables as well, solar panels, battery storage, EV chargers for your home and business, uh, CCTV school contract in the full shebang. They do everything. wyelectrical.co.uk for details, and you can find them on socials as well. Phil, we are reviewing Blackburn. We're looking ahead to Sunderland. We'll get onto that in the second half of the show. First of all, a win at Blackburn. And um, we finally exercised that that kit hoodoo, which has delighted me no end. Because I, I, I did ask, didn't I, like in the run up to this when we were previewing it, saying, I know it's silly, I know it's silly, but do like do players actually buy into this? And I noticed that Ethan Ampadu tweeted to that effect, like finally able to put a, a post out in an away kit. <laughs> well, funnily enough, um, one of the editors in my office messaged me on Saturday morning to say, Are you aware of this um, away kit thing? And I said, oh, yes. I obviously hadn't been listening to, to our podcasts. But somebody else who was in the office was saying to him, look, this is not a thing. It's only a thing when stupid people like you start writing about it and then putting it in the heads of players and, and they get a bit of a bit of a complex. It was really unusual for it to have gone on that long without a win in a away kit or, or a third kit. But I do agree that it's not really a thing. Kits change. Um, it's pretty random when you... You do wear them, and despite what I was saying about Gary Monk in the 16-17 season um, in our last podcast, I'd be surprised if many players get a, a huge complex about it. They should really have uh, have ended that record about Rotherham leads. And I feel like I'm saying the same thing after almost every game because they are so consistent now. But that is another really good win at Blackburn. Really good win. It's probably hard to overstate how bad the conditions were. Certainly the driving conditions over the Pennines are about the worst I've seen in years. And it wasn't easy easy to play in and the pitch was actually pretty decent all things considered but I think in that weather against that team they were very committed Blackburn and they and they definitely have limitations but handy on the counter-attack there is a bit of talent in that side it's another really valuable victory and I just think more and more with Leeds there's so much consistency in the play there's so much familiarity in, in what they're doing the patterns of the football are very pronounced and, and very obvious and I think from Farker's perspective, he's getting the results that he's after. But I also think week after week, he really is getting the performances that he's after too. Yeah, I suspect that the kit record was more down to us being a bit shit, Phil, to be perfectly honest, than, <laughs> than any sort of uh, yes. fabric. You may be onto something there. Yeah, yeah. That, that a fabric-related uh, hoodoo. But put it, to get, uh, put it to bed, we did. 
Um, I was just going to ask actually about the the conditions and, and ask you how much that did play into it because for anybody who wasn't a match going fan and we did have nearly seven and a half thousand there, which was great. What was it like and, and did it make it a more difficult game in your opinion from watching it? I think it did, not because of the pitch. As I say, the, the pitch was a bit scuffed and a few battle wounds at the end of the game. But actually, driving over to to Blackburn, it's quite rare these days that you expect to be there to be any risk of postponement. Most pitches tend to hold up pretty well, especially as you get further up the divisions and, and especially in the Premier League. Um, but even in the Championship, you have a lot of grounds with good drainage and undersoil heating and, and everything else. And, and you don't tend to get a massive of call-offs. But it, because the rain was so severe... There was that part of you that was wondering, you know, even if this isn't in any doubt, what is the pitch going to be like? You know, what is the surface going to be like? Is it going to be tough? Is it going to be sticky? Is it going to be going to be pretty wet? And I didn't think it was bad at all, but the rain was driving, the, the wind was swirling. I suspect if you're sitting watching on the TV, there'd have been aspects of that game or parts of that game where you'd have been fairly unimpressed or, or thought that it wasn't great. But actually in the stadium and, and at arm's length from the pitch, you could tell that it wasn't, the sort of day when there was ever going to be huge amounts of, of finesse or, or high quality. But once again, I think the bits of finesse and high quality that were there came from Leeds. You know, two really good goals, which, you know, I, I think I think this is the making of this team, really. They are organised. They are very solid and, and rigid, defensively good. But when they have opportunities and when they have chances, they have players who are, who are going to take them. Lovely finish from Dan James. Really, really terrific little chip from Somerville. Um, in the second half to to kill the game. And that, I think, is what Farker could count on at the moment. You know, he can count on these players coming up with those moments. And I do feel with Leeds that any game that they're in and any game that they've managed, even if it's difficult, any game that they've hung in to and, and, you know, managed to stay in touch in, they've got a great chance of winning. That's what it always feels like with Leeds at the minute. As long as we don't do anything stupid in defence, I feel like I can rely on us to to score at the other end because there's just goals in this team. One thing I didn't fully appreciate and I didn't mention perhaps as much on the match ball or notice at the time, but it's the watching back since and I've watched it back a few times. Archie Gray's role in that second goal, winning the ball back over by the dugouts, proceeding across halfway line, being direct, going towards a goal, the exchange of passes that led to that threaded ball into Somerville. Fantastic work, wasn't it? I didn't. I don't think I fully appreciated it at the time. Oh, it really was. I think there was probably an opportunity for him to go to Somerville first time, but it's the fact with Gray, and people talk a lot about his intelligence as a player, but it's the fact with him that he he does tend to pick the right pass and he does know which ball to go for, and that was exactly the one. You know, there's so much space for Somerville there, and it still needed a really, you know, really deft little touch to put the ball away. But it, it becomes a, a kind of glaring opportunity, and it felt, even though it finished 2-0, it did feel like it needed a second goal. It wasn't as if the chances for Blackburn were coming at a rate of knots, but you always felt that there was a little bit of tension in the game at 1-0, that, that Leeds would have to score again just to make sure and, and to make it make it safe. And as far as Gray's concerned, I like a lot of what he does at right back. I mean, to go back to a previous conversation, he definitely wants to be playing in the centre of midfield. You know, that's where he sees himself and that's where I think he, he thinks his game will grow and evolve, evolve as he gets older. But Leeds are getting a terrific shift from him at right back and at the moment I don't think there would be any justification for taking him out of, of that role I mean Farke is going to have to have a think now about the, the full back slots with, with Sam Byron coming off injured and it feels as if all things being equal we're probably going to see Jed Spence at left back against Sunderland tomorrow night but I don't think at the moment you would be rushing to move Gray out of right back to get Spence in there I really want to see Spence in the team I really want to see him develop to the point where he hits top form and is a, an easy player to pick 
but Gray's been extremely good there more often than not. And you're right. That in that moment, that's what wins games, isn't it? Just that clarity of thought and and that killer precision that the opposition can't cope with. And what do you think of the way that the um, the championship's shaping up now? I'm just looking at the uh, the table, and there's a gap of well, what is it now? There, it's, uh, it's six points between Southampton and West Brom, who are in fifth. So there's that uh, sense that the top four are now starting to pull away. Obviously, there's a gap between Leeds and Southampton and, and Ipswich and Leicester, who are above. But it's starting to properly take shape now, isn't it? And we are. 11 points clear of falling out of the playoffs. So it's starting to look like we're solidifying our position there anyway. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I wrote last week about the top four in the championship and, you know, Southampton were a few seconds away from a win at Watford at the weekend, which would again have been another clean sweep of results for, for the top four. The form there is is incredibly strong. It's funny, really, because there are umpteen seasons over the past, say, 15 to 20 years where Leeds would have been absolutely delighted with this position at this stage. You know, the, the points tally, the, the gap to seventh place, the feeling that you kind of one step towards the playoffs already and if this, this continues for much longer, that that is going to be there for the taking. But the problem with Leeds is that nobody wants the playoffs, do they? And it's not that nobody wants the playoffs because it's much nicer to be promoted automatically. Nobody wants the playoffs because Leeds never, ever fare well in the playoffs. And I'm a great believer in the fact that every record has to be broken and nothing lasts forever. But I, it, again, if this was a normal season or a typical season in which the top two weren't moving as quickly as they are and, and weren't getting away at the pace that they have done, I don't think there would be any complaint with, with this at all. The form is automatic promotion form, but only in a year where you don't have teams like Leicester and Ipswich on the totals that they're on. I found the um, the Middlesbrough-Ipswich game interesting at the weekend. I watched that whilst I was I was in here, like mixing down the um, the match ball and getting ready to publish that. So I just kept an eye on that. And, you know, Middlesbrough stuck four past Sunderland earlier this season. They gave us a hell of a run for our money at Ellen Road in what I thought was a really, really tough game. Barely laid a glove on Ipswich. It's funny how just sometimes, for whatever reason, these matchups whether it's a matter of timing or the style of the opponents, whatever it might be, just somebody just cannot produce anything against a certain team. In much the same way, I guess, that Leeds didn't produce against um, what's proven to be a pretty poor Stoke side earlier in the season. Yeah, but they've been isolated moments, haven't they, for Leeds? Outside of August, when things were not good at Ellen Road and there was too much to sort out and, and tooth in a squad for Mar- for Farker to make, a, to make big waves with at that stage... Leeds have only had the the odd occasion where it hasn't worked for them. You know, Rotherham and Stoke, the two that, that jump out. I think Middlesbrough have been more inconsistent, more up and down. They have had poor results mixed in with with good ones in the same way that, that Blackburn have as well. But you also have the weight of the fixture list, don't you, in the Championship, which is just pretty relentless. And I, I sort of tried to make the point in a piece I wrote last month that expecting fine performance after fine performance in December is fairly unrealistic. This, this is where you really have to pick up points any which way and you will have days where you don't play well you will have days where it doesn't quite click and doesn't quite work and that will come down to fatigue it will come down to just the, you know just those those pockets of of poor form or or underwhelming form um that develop because it is just game after game after game you know I was hard game for Leeds at, at Blackburn but off to Sunderland on Tuesday night which is not going to be easy either and it's not going to be low tempo I don't think so it does take a lot to keep the form going and you know Leeds results at the moment are pretty exemplary as I say they're just suffering at the moment from the fact that this is a freak table and were it not for that fact I think they would absolutely be in the top two had a chat with Michael at the weekend about this and Rob as well do you think do you think Leeds are getting better and I'm, I'm saying this you know fully aware that we could go to to Sunderland and it all fall apart but do you think on the evidence so far that you see that this is an improving side I think they're looking more regular than 
you know, with with some exceptions and one being very obvious, but with just about any Leeds United managerial period that I've seen over the years. I mean, Gary Monk's Leeds were very sort of um I don't know if formulaic would be fair, but I guess what you'd say is that you you kind of knew what you were going to get from Monk's Leeds. I think this Leeds team are better than his. It would be also, you knew, particularly in the championship, you knew what you were going to get from them. You knew how they were going to play, you knew what the patterns of play were, were going to be. I, I genuinely feel the same with with Farker and Leeds. I think the organisation, the, the tactics, the strategy is is there for everybody to see. And and the pleasing thing for him, and I think the important thing for Leeds, is that the players have looked comfortable in it for a long time now. They've looked happy with the way they're supposed to be playing. I think are happy with the way that it's working. And that is definitely translating into into results. And I don't doubt at all, and you you know, again, you see this over the years, I don't doubt that it helps the dressing room knowing that they have players in there and players on the pitch who are just a cut above. I mean, it, virtually every manager in the division this season, afterwards or before, is talking about the level of quality in Farkas' squad. And I was, I was on TalkSpot for the Rotherham game, and I was trying to make this point that I think if Leeds go up this season, people will probably look at it in hindsight and say, well, given the size of the budget they had and the players they had, the squad that was available, the, the additional talent on top of what you tend to get in, in the championship, then perhaps they should have gone gone up. But I do think it kind of underestimates or it kind of ignores what was really going on in the summer here, You know how much had to change, how much had to be done, how much they had to get right with some fairly expedited decisions and decisions that they, you know, didn't have a huge amount of time to to dwell on. It's gone extremely well. And I just think you, you're looking at a team and a unit that is extremely well coached, very well organised and, and has a genuinely great chance. I think one of the giveaways for the consistency of the side and, and the level at which it's performing at, uh, at the weekend anyway, was how difficult it was to pick a man of the match. I couldn't, I went, oh, mm, he was good, on he was good. Somerville was good again, involved in loads of stuff. Uh, Rodon absolutely rock solid and it's shown in the kind of you know the voting like I think the um, the official Legion United account ended up with Rodon I think they tweeted out to say that Rodon ended up getting man of the match based on the public yeah. vote so would you agree with that or would you give, yeah, give the, us- yeah very very fair shout that one um, I felt a little bit like that after Middlesbrough as well actually that it wasn't it wasn't as if there was a, an obvious candidate from that but there were a lot of players who'd had good days and in the end I felt like Archie Gray probably had the best of it against Middlesbrough, particularly because of his recovery from that that early concession and, and the mistake that was made for that. But, I mean, Farker, more than once this season, has spoken about the golden boot, you know, and, and about how he, he seems to have no interest at all in one specific player scoring a lot of goals and one specific player coming out at the end of the season with trophy or accolades or, or whatever else. And that probably does feed into the way leads are and, and the way they're playing. This It never feels as if this lead side are dependent on one individual. You know, as if you take one player out of this side and the whole pack of cards will will fall apart. I think there are definitely positions where if you were to get an injury, and I'm thinking Piro at, at 10, um, Ampadu in the centre of midfield, Rodon at the back, you would have that question mark in your head straight away about what the impact was, was going to be. And in no way do I think this Leeds team are completely bulletproof. But it's not as if it's, it's built on individuals at all. And actually, the, the more you listen to Farker... And the more you hear what he says, the more you realise that that's absolutely deliberate. Goals and assists combined. Somerville, 15. Ruta, 12. Dan James, 11. Joel Peru, 9. It's it's a pretty formidable front four, isn't it? That? 
Yeah, it is. And I was drawing the comparison piece on um, on Sunday with Sheffield Wednesday, who I think have got 23 in total, you know, three goals or 24, three goals, 11 assists, you know. So you have players in the lead squad who individually are not far off doing half of what Wednesday's entire squad are doing themselves. And OK, Wednesday have been dismal this season, but it does give you some example of the, the levels of, of output. And it's the, it's the repetitiveness as well. It's not as if... Somerville's goals or James's goals or, or assists or anything else have all come in one individual fixture. They've been spread right across the season. And I think I'm right in saying that they've been 11 goal scorers for Farker um, so far, which again is a is a good spread. But teams who do well in an attacking sense, the teams who's attacking players give you that give you that return and, and do score goals, do come up with assists. And, and everybody's at it for leads in, in that front four. And it's quite interesting that to this point, Farker hasn't had to make a huge amount of Willie Nonto and he hasn't had to make a huge amount of, of Jaden Anthony or of, of Patrick Bamford either. Again, you lose members of this front four to injury or, or whatever else and, and it would concern you slightly. But for as long as it's flowing like this, they're going to pick up points. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And eyes turn into Sunderland then on Tuesday, and we try and pick out a one to watch, a, you know, a clash, a battle, a matchup, a player, an issue, whatever it might be, to keep an eye on in the upcoming game. And I'm going to preempt you with this and ask you is it going to be Jack Clark versus Archie Gray, just to return to Archie again? Well, not necessarily that battle, but I think probably just Jack Clark generally. You remember him coming through and looking like a, a very, very good prospect. And and then Leeds choosing to sell him in the summer before they went up, taking about £10 million um, from Spurs. And as time went on, all of us, me included, starting to think that they'd got the very, very good end of that deal because it, it's certainly, from what's been said at the, the Tottenham end or, or what we know about Tottenham, 
in no way was it a Pochettino signing. You know, it, it seemed to be a club signing rather than his. He, he, it wasn't that he didn't want Clark as such, but I don't think he went after him. And it was hard to understand or to know what the point of that was, especially because of how little Clark was playing down at, at Tottenham. And there must have been that risk that he would begin to drift and would drift to the extent where potential and, and the, the chance of a really kind of high-level career was lost. But he's been extremely good at Sunderland, really good at Sunderland. And I think if there's any clubs out there who are needing a, a winger of a certain value, you know, he is somebody who's going to be on the, the list with without a doubt. So I think Leeds will probably find him in as good as Vettel um, as he's been at any stage since he left Ellen Road. And definitely, definitely from you know point of view of the Sunderland lineup, the, the player to watch. It's funny, isn't it, how familiarity with players can sometimes skew your perception of their age because I'm just looking at because I was curious as to how old he was he's just turned 23 so you know it might have just taken time to build up in his career might it? it might have just been a, a thing where he needed to find a level and a home and kick on from there but 23 years old which makes him considerably older than Jorginho Rute yeah I would have in my mind they're kind of the other way around because of the maturity yeah, with which Rute plays and, and Jack Clark to me is still a kid Oh, I think because the last time you saw Jack Clark certainly in the flesh he, he was incredibly raw wasn't he you know when he was in a Leeds kit he looked like a, an academy kid, which he, he definitely isn't anymore. I think the bottom line was that he wasn't going to get a game at Spurs. It wasn't going to happen for him there, no matter how much he worked, no matter how much he, he stuck in. He, he needed to go somewhere else. And and this has been a, a really good move for him. I still look at him and think there's there's definite Premier League potential further down the line for, for Clark, without a doubt. So he is somebody who leads so will have to manage. And given that there are going to be changes, as I say, I, I would expect... Spence coming in for Byram at left back, but I guess there are alternatives for for Farker if he wanted to mix things up. At full back, Leeds are going to have to be good. Yeah, and Spence will be an interesting one, maybe a secondary one to watch almost to see how he he beds in, assuming he does come in, um, because he was uh, he was caught upfield quite high, wasn't he, towards the back end of that Blackburn game and didn't necessarily uh, manage to get back in time. And, and Farker mentioned it in his post match. You know, it's a sign of a young man who's who's been out for yep. a number of weeks. Yeah, I mean, Farker does this from time to time, but I, I watched him having a long debrief with um, with Spence on the pitch after the, the final whistle, and he was pointing specifically to that corner flag, you know, to that area, um, and I think was was making the point um, about Spence's positioning and, and the need to retreat and recover um, when, when the ball's lost. I've got to say with Spence, it only takes the odd glimpse of him to see that he's positively confident, looks really slick player and, and knows what he's doing. I do just feel like he could be a huge asset if they, they get him going. But realistically, I mean, he, he surely has to be the the option at left-back against Sunderland, you would think. We're off to see Fark in about an hour, so we might get a, a bit more, a bit clearer impression at that stage. But Firpo isn't fit. It seemed to me that Farker was very much expecting Byron to miss these two games coming up. If if not more, I think a game will get a bit more of a, um, of a thumb um, answer on, on Byram's fitness when we see Farker shortly and Spence I mean Spence would want to be at right back in the same way as Gray would want to be in the centre of midfield that is that is Spence's position but he looks to me like the kind of player who if you get him switched on and get him going you can ask him to play within reason pretty much anywhere and I think he would play well You did a piece on The Athletic this week about um, Leeds possible uh, movements in the transfer window in January you've um, been banging the drum for a left back you think that would be a sensible move to make given that Byram is still kind of his it feels like he's always on a knife edge with Byram doesn't it like he gets a little tweak and you saw him holding his leg and you go oh god here we go again but it, feel, it feels like they're nursing him through and in the absence of Junior Firpo it feels like a sensible move to make doesn't it left back just yeah. shore that up he's been very good Byram and, and actually his, his body's held up well to this point but obviously it does get thick and fast over um, over Christmas and you can feel the intensity of the fixture list starting to, to take hold. 
I think it makes sense even more so on the basis that football has barely been available this season. And I think a lot of us still far from convinced about whether he is the answer at left back anyway. That seems like a, an obvious position to cover. But it does seem to me that Farker is far more concerned, and I don't mean concerned as in worried, but far more focused on retentions in January and far more focused on making sure that there's no deviation from the plan as it was set out in the summer, you know, as it was agreed to be for this season, not to lose anybody key. I think it's quite interesting that both Creswell and, and Gelhart have been told that as it stands, they'll be staying in January. I mean, Creswell struggling to get on the bench. Gelhart's not getting many minutes at all. And on Saturday, it was Joseph who came on late on rather than him. But again, I think Farker looks at both of them. In Creswell's case, you know, he, he needs a four centre-back there. He needs four central options. Creswell is one and has been here and has trained and knows the, the tactical routine and everything else. So it makes sense to, to keep him from Farker's perspective. And likewise with Gilhart, I think Farker can still see a point where he might be needed, you know, where it might be necessary to to have him. So it's almost like the greater good, really, isn't it? You know, you keep these players, even though they're not getting many minutes, because it's prudent to do so. But yeah, I think a left-back would be sensible. I do wonder about the 10 area, you know, if it stopped working for Pirro, if Pirro was injured or, or absence, how, how do you shuffle that up? But I really think that there would be a risk by doing too much in January that you end up with baggage, um, you know, excess baggage that you don't really need. It's kind of strange, isn't it? Because people almost hate the idea of a quiet January, the idea that you can sign people and you don't. But I don't know about you, it just feels like one of those windows where less might be a bit more. Yeah, it's a delicate balance, isn't it? And I think perhaps uh, uh, sort of as a collective fan base almost, we, we've kind of learned from the Bielsa era that coaching is very important and I think we've seen the benefits of good coaching this year. You look at you know, players like Dan James, for example, and Crescencio Somerville who are both absolutely on on fire. So coaching and stability and familiarity are all things that we shouldn't underestimate the value of within this thing. And like you say, it's a, it's an, the ecosystem. You don't want to start putting players in who demand to start, do you necessarily? You need somebody who's going to be willing to come in and fight for their place, but also contribute as well. It's, it's quite difficult to identify those players. And I, know, I realise I'm probably doing Angus Kinnear's job for him here, talking down transfers, but I, I totally understand what you're saying. For example, you're saying there, you know, somebody coming in demanding minutes or demanding starts. As it stands, they're just not going to get it, are they? They're not going to get into this team because the team is largely picking itself. And and I'm well aware of the fact that you, you will get injuries somewhere down the line as there is one to buy them at the moment. So you have to be sensible in, in getting the balance right. Like you said, you know, you, you need the right amount of numbers, but but not not too many. I just think Leeds at the moment are kind of this contradiction where they're both in an easy sale to potential signings and a difficult sell easy on the basis that this I think is a project that you'd want to join and and be part of you know there's a lot to like about it but difficult in the sense that anybody who sits down and says well you know how many minutes am I actually going to get is probably going to be told "Mm, hard to say really because there are very good players in this squad who aren't playing you know Nonto hasn't had too much football Anthony hasn't had too much football Um, I say Creswell can't get on the bench and is regarded as you know kind of one of the best centre-backs coming through the academy at Leeds, England under 21 international, plenty of potential there. So we asked Fark about this a couple of weeks ago and he did say he wanted it to be a chilled window. He, he thought it would. And I put the question to him again on Saturday about whether he and the club had spoken about how well positioned they are to say no if they do start getting asked the question about some of their best players. Because as much as you don't want to broach this subject too heavily, it's impossible to imagine that there are not scouts and clubs out there who are looking at some of what's going on here and thinking that there are good players in, in the camp who could do a job for them at a higher level. 
No, absolutely. But hopefully we've got enough financial resilience that that's, that's not a pressing concern. And and the awareness as well that it's, it's football suicide to sell a major asset yeah. at this stage, isn't it? You just don't want to uh, do it. Just lessen your chances. Yeah, I, th- I think PNS pressure would be far bigger at the end of this season for a second season in the Championship than it would be now. And I, I think you're right. You know, there's a, a kind of sensible balance, sensible way up to be made now about the fact that you have put yourself in a great position to get promoted. Albeit, you know, there's the the issue of the issue of it being the playoffs potentially rather than than automatic. But I think the where they would have projected to be Leeds or where they would have hoped to have been, I don't think, I don't think even Leicester would have. You know, would have said to themselves, "Let's try and get to fifty points by the middle of December," because it just so so rarely happens. I would imagine that January and budgets and finances and everything else are probably much more of a concern for the clubs who are just outside the playoffs at the moment, because a really difficult decision to make, isn't it? Given that the top four seem to be getting away, and given that that reduces the odds of even getting into the playoffs, let alone winning them. What do you do next month? You know, do you invest? Do you turn down offers if if they come your way? I think if you're on the very fringes of the playoffs, that that's a hard call. Mm, not our problem, thankfully, at the minute. No. Let's hope we don't end up on the fringes of the playoffs. But then again, it would be very Leeds. I was like saying, saying earlier on, we were like 11 points away from a seventh place finish. So if we were to stretch that out over the season, imagine if we ended up about 15 points clear of it and still lost in the playoffs. That'd be very Leeds, wouldn't it? <laughs> Stupid. Stupid idea. I, I said right at the start of the season that I didn't feel like Leeds were a team, the way it was developing under Farker, were a team who were going to start throwing in 5-0 defeats here and there that were going to have weird and wonderful random days and then I'm pretty sure that that was the weekend where they went to Southampton and were 3-0 <laughs> after half an hour and I was thinking hmm, yeah usual usual thing but I still kind of stand by that and it's not to say that there won't be a poor patch of form that comes around and I mean actually I think if you're, you're honest about this a poor patch of form might be what rules them out of the top two unless Ipswich and, and Leicester start to, to crack because they really are leaving no room for error at all them at the, at the moment and I, I think Farker will be conscious of that but I just don't see it setting in with Leeds I feel like there are too many good players in this squad for them to go from the position in, they're in now to the, the fringes of the playoffs I might be wrong um, and we'll see how it goes but they, they do just look, look very organised look like the understanding is really good and, and they're looking pretty rock solid This Sunderland game is an interesting one isn't it I feel like this has got the I don't know the potential to be a little bit more of a banana skin than, yes. than any other recently I was fairly confident we'd go to Blackburn and win you know you never want to get too cocksure about these things but I look at this one they're managerless as well um, and we had to sort of have a quick discussion off air before we started didn't we say who is looking after Sunderland at the minute Mike Dodds so you presume that's a, an internal appointment that's looking after things in a caretaker role until they, they get a new boss but the crowd will be up for it under the floodlights it'll be a big crowd it's one of the fixtures that they like you know Leeds is one of those kind of cup final occasions for a lot of teams Sunderland in particular, and yes, with a nod to 1973 and all that. We've got to be careful here, haven't we? But you just hope that, again, we've got enough quality to see this one off. And I think that's how I feel about going into every game now, Phil. I don't know if you if you agree. It's a case of you need that at least that sort of 7 out of 10 performance from Leeds as a, a bare minimum, sort of a base level, uh, and hope that it's enough to subdue the opposition and that, that yeah, the quality shines through in the end. Well, I personally think that if you get 7 out of 10 across the board with Leeds, then they will win most of the games. I don't know if this is the right way to describe it, but Sunderland away feels like Stoke and Rotherham away. Yeah, minus, yeah. minus the mediocre opposition that we had at Stoke and Rotherham. And, and granted, Stoke did win that game and actually Leeds didn't play well for a lot of it. But in no way would I pretend that Sunderland are not a better team than, than either of those. They, they definitely are. But it still does feel like that fixture difficult 
away fixture and they will have to play well there yeah yeah without a doubt how do you feel this one's going to go then a, a, a trickier game for Leeds a, a nice yeah. a nice early goal would be good wouldn't it for us just to uh, to sort of set the pattern of the game up I suppose I think a really big result if Leeds can come away from this with a win I, I genuinely and you know set themselves up nicely for the for the weekend but I think it'll be tight I think it could I think it could definitely go either way this and I, I suspect you know Farker was very kind of complimentary about Blackburn before the game at the weekend. I think you'll get much the same noise from him about Sunderland as well. The one thing that we have seen um, over the past few weeks is the return of um, Leeds fans in the home end, haven't we, at away grounds. I meant to mention after the Rotherham game, um, because there were a fair number in the home end at Rotherham, and actually Rotherham seemed to be fairly good-spirited about it in the way that the the little patch of Blackburn fans over the other side of the pitch from us on Saturday definitely were not. Um, (laughs) But I did notice after the Rotherham game, somebody getting ejected for celebrating the Anthony goal that wasn't. And, I, and it did make me think that there's probably a really good piece to be done on banning orders incurred for moments which actually were worth nothing in the end. I mean, don't tell anyone, but my dad was in the home end for the Rotherham game as well. So, uh, what would he? Nah, he's well behaved, your dad, though. Yeah, he generally leaves early in the second half when he's at Ellen Road, but he stayed for the full duration at Rotherham. So, uh, so there you go. Um, just looking yeah. at the other fixtures for this, this midweek then. Yeah, Ipswich are travelling to, to Watford. That, I don't know, you'd, you'd fancy him to win it, wouldn't you? But that won't be the easiest game that they'll face this season, I don't think. No, definitely not. Definitely not. But um, I'm, I'm a little bit past second-guessing Ipswich, really. I, I I sort of felt like after Blackburn on Saturday, that might just have turned the screw a little bit and, and made Middlesbrough a, a more difficult game for them, but not as it turned out. And as you said, I, w- I was listening on the radio on the way home um, and just to the, the odd update from there, and it sounded pretty comfortable for them. And pretty um pretty easy. I mean, they're, they're clearly a really good team, Ipswich, who, who I think a lot like Farkas Leeds know exactly what they are and, and know what what they're about. And that's what has to happen for Leeds is that one of the one or other of the top two, if not both, have to to start cracking a little bit. But you know, I guess the the, the most positive thing Farker can say is that Leeds have put themselves in in the right position if that starts to happen. Yeah, just looking at the rest of the um the fixtures across midweek, you've got Leicester at home to Millwall again. You'd fancy them to do a number on Millwall. Um, with relative comfort based on what we saw earlier in the season. Elsewhere, Southampton travelling to Coventry. You'd fancy them as favourites for that, but you never quite know, do you? So maybe there's an, there's an opportunity for one or two to drop points. So it feels like a tough midweek, this one, for us. And then looking ahead to the weekend, you've got Ipswich Norwich at lunchtime on Saturday, so they'll play ahead of us. Derby game, anything could happen. So that'll be a fascinating one. Elsewhere, we've got Coventry, obviously. We'll, we'll preview all these properly towards the, um, the back end of the week. Uh, you've got Southampton at home to Blackburn. Again, you'd expect them to win that and then you've got to wait until Monday for uh, for Leicester to play they're playing at Birmingham but again you'd fancy him to win that wouldn't you that's a lot of fingers to cross is all I'll say yeah there's so many games so many games that it's just, I, I, I've i sort of said to myself that in, in terms of the top two you almost have to kind of relegate it from your mind now until that last weekend before Christmas when Ipswich come to Ellen Road and then play Leicester I think I'm right in saying that they have to play Leicester again in January those are going to be like the critical days, aren't they? In the critical moments, if if this is to close up, it's not to say that there won't be some deviation from time to time. But yeah, no things things could definitely change. Um, but you can't pretend that Ipswich haven't been going along very very nicely and have generally known how to handle some pretty difficult matches. Yeah, that is a slightly bizarre quirk of the fixtures, isn't it? I didn't realise that until I sort of well, sat and looked at them this weekend. Really, I was like, because the you know the Preston fixture got moved to noon on a Sunday, which which can get in the bin, by the way, quite frankly. Uh-huh, yeah. That I thought, hang on a second, but we're playing them on Boxing Day. And yeah, so there's only like a three and a half week gap or something like that, isn't there, between the, the Boxing Day fixture and the return fixture 
in the third week of January because yeah, Leicester play Ipswich on that Monday night after we play Preston. I'm inclined to say that the evening kickoff at West Brom can probably get in the bin as well. I'm only I'm only imagining the road closures on the way home from that, which are going to be apocalyptic, I would imagine. But yeah, it, it is it is kind of odd. But obviously, like quick turnarounds like that become far more relevant if the teams are actually doing something and are actually in the running. You know, if you if you're talking about mid table sides, that tends to pass without anybody anybody noticing. But it is definitely relevant this time because you know the games between Leicester and Ipswich are going to make a difference. Well, I look forward to my my twenty minute WhatsApp from uh, yes. St- Steady Malight. You sent me one, and you lifted the kit, the kit jinx in doing so. I'm glad, I'm glad it only took you 20, so 20 games it took you to send the 20 minute text finally. Um, maybe, maybe that's it for the season. Maybe we just need to stop now. Yeah, I was starting to worry about you and the kit jinx so I thought this is the day let's sort it out. <laughs> right, Phil, we'll uh, get together back end of the week, all right, and we'll uh, we'll have a chat about the uh, the Coventry game at the weekend. But enjoy the Stadium of Light. We'll catch up soon, yeah? Thank you. We'll see you soon. The Square Ball Podcast. 